855-450-3733. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. And uh, right now, we've got an interview on the line. We've got Stefan Molyneux, freedomainradio.com. Stefan, are you there? All is well. Um, you're here with uh, Mark and Dale. And, um, you know, normally we don't do interviews on Free Talk Live, but I did ask you to call in because I heard something on LRN.FM, Liberty Radio Network, and you can find it at LRN.FM, is a, I guess, a podcast that you did, and it's called The Short Unhappy Lives of Fiat Currencies. And I thought this was just so good and delivered so well that uh, I really wanted to talk to you about it because I felt like even though there's probably some crossover between our listenership and yours, there's certainly quite a bit that, um, that, that don't cross over, and I want to make sure people hear this stuff. Well, I, I appreciate that. I uh, just really want to be clear. Uh, I, I pillaged this work, though I do think it's really, really important. Uh, and Same here. The, I mean, the basic idea behind it is, is fascinating, and it's something that I'd never seen presented in this concise a way before. And uh, basically the idea is that the ab- people have done studies of, of fiat currencies throughout the world and throughout history and found that the average life expectancy for a fiat currency is 27 years, with the shortest lifespan being one, count them, one <laughs> month. And the only one that's lasted any kind of... <laughs> yeah, the only, the only one that's lasted any kind of time is the British pound sterling. Uh, it's 317 years old. However... <laughs> In those three centuries, it's lost 99.5% of its value. And I think it's even worse than the U.S. dollars. And uh, this, so the, the quote is... Sorry, go ahead. is worth what a half a penny was when it was started? Yeah, so the British pound was originally defined as 12 ounces of silver. Now it's, le- it's worth less than one two hundredth of that. So, you know, to, to paraphrase Fight Club, on a long enough time frame, the survival rate of all fiat currencies drops to zero. And um, yeah. there's lots of examples of this. What's the next closest? Is I mean, you know, is, is the pound sterling the one fiat currency that's made it this long? I mean, the DOS dollar, do they, do they count it from 1913? Do they count it from uh, 1970 or 69 or whatever? That yeah, I was, kind of, I was wondering that because I know there's, there's various stages that the dollar has gone through being separated further and further away from being backed by anything at all of value. Well, that's interesting, and there's two ways of measuring it. Of course, in the 19th century, there were lots of competing currencies. The the, the U.S. flirted with the central bank and then ditched it and then flirted with it again. But uh, I think that you would most accurately characterize the American fiat currency system as uh, really being from 1971, when, when Nixon decoupled the U.S. dollar from gold. I think that's when you would count the real, you know, airy-fairy, tied-to-nothing fantasy camp of paper money. Yeah. That would be about 40 years. I tend to agree. That's what I was thinking, too, is that's when it really just stops having any meaning <laughs> at all in terms of real uh, assets. Yeah, I mean, they messed around with it in the 30s, and they broke the convertibility and so on, but, um, yeah, it's it's really only 40 years, so the U.S. has, has lasted a long time, and, and I would really argue that's only because... The, of the astounding growth in, in the productivity of certain sectors of the American economy has propped up the fiat currency. And, uh, I mean, I think really around the computer industry and so on. Imagine how wealthy would be if, uh, if the computer industry gains had been allowed to accrue, uh, to, to the general population rather than being eaten up by inflation and, and debt and government predation. And I mean, I think we'd all have at least double the income that we had, uh, in, in the seventies, which would be significant. Right, you know, the, the government That's meaningful income in terms of spending power is what you mean, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, not uh, yeah, not not Zimbabwe income, but gold-based income. 
So what is uh, what, what is the second uh, closest uh, currency behind the, the the pound sterling? Is there anything that's even close to this thing in the, its two hundred years of uh, existence? Uh, you know, they don't mention that, but I, I got to think it would be. Um, I mean, certainly it's nothing in Europe because they've replaced all their currencies with the euro, which is now currently yeah. eating its eating itself very nicely. Uh, I can't think of any other currency. Oh, yeah, it's just about. So I think I think the U.S. is uh, is is second, and uh, you know when when you're second uh, and the U.S. dollar is doing what it's doing, uh, that is not a good race to be in. Well, I mean, it doesn't look like the dollar is going to get anywhere near to where the uh, the, the pound sterling. <laughs> well, the no. U.S. economy is committing suicide so aggressively. Uh, looking at the not actions the they're the taking, politicians. Well, right. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, if you look at the actions they're taking, they're so dramatic, and so the 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 mistakes they're making are are of ex- exponential proportions <laughs> to the past. And so people who are looking to the past to try and predict the future, I don't think it's relevant. Things have changed so much. I mean, you know, they, they, they try to look at these trends in the economy to predict what's going to happen in the future. Like, but, for instance, the, what happened in 71 and what changed the currency to pure fiat is, is, is like, as you're pointing out, is significant. And, and you can't just look at the past and assume the future is going to keep behaving the same way. Right, so let's so let's play a little game here. Uh, maybe your listeners can chime in, and we can uh, maybe play some bets with some paper currency. Right, so this is they did a study of seven hundred and seventy-five fiat currencies, and isn't that a depressing number of paper currencies? That's a lot of fiat currencies. Yeah, well, they're all pretty much fiat now, I think. Um, yeah, and so twenty percent of them failed through hyperinflation. Twenty-one percent were destroyed by war. Twelve percent destroyed by independence, and twenty-four percent were monetarily reformed, and twenty-three percent are still in circulation, approaching one of the out- other outcomes. We've got hyperinflation, war, independence, or a re- a, you know a reform where they just rejig all the numbers. They slash off a couple of zeros. They issue new currency, and they just start the whole thing all over again. Where do you think uh, U.S. dollars are going to end up? I um I I would love to hear your opinion on it, but if you're asking mine, I'm going to say reformed. I I, I think that they're going to probably trot out the new improved dollar or the Amero or whatever term they're going to use. I think for. it's going to be attempted. Certainly, I don't know. It's hard to p- imagine what will result. Well, they'll probably tie it to something early on and then untie it at that point. Stefan, you got an idea? Well, I tell you, the the reform is uh, is pretty tricky. Because uh, it's one thing to reform your currency when you're not enmeshed in the world currency, of course, as America is. And also, it's not so difficult to reform your currency when you don't owe the world, say, three generations of your offspring. And so I think that's a real challenge. I mean, if they try to reform the U.S. currency, in other words, if they cancel the U.S. dollar and issue the dollar version 2.0, what is going to happen to all of the existing debt that's owed to people? Um, I don't think that they're going to be all too happy. And uh, so I think that would be pretty tricky. I think what they'd probably do. I mean, if if I was if, if I was evil <laughs> and I was in charge of printing money, <laughs> but I but I repeat myself. Um, they, I, I would probably print all the dollars, pay everybody off, and then bring out the dollar uh, 2.0 and start all over with a clean slate and a bunch of mad people. But but you can't uh, you can't. I mean, what is the U.S. debt is now ninety percent of GDP or some monstrous Mediterranean style number? I mean, you can't right, you can't just can't. You, I mean, you're going to have to. What they could do, I guess, is they could print money and pay off as much debt as they could, and then before the hyperinflation hits, they could pull the rug out and start again. But I think I think that the reason that's not happening in the Western countries is that trick 
is is so old and tired now that yeah i think everyone's aware of it and i think that people would know pretty quickly uh, of course the us has what doubled the production of monies in the last couple of years so and they're looking at qe3 uh, which sounds like a fun cruise but it really has just fallen off the edge of the world economically so i don't i don't think i mean i think they're really low uh, on options at the moment it's the equivalent of just saying, and they may as well if they're going to do that. If just saying to these other countries, we're just not going to pay you back. Yeah, we're just never mind. We're just we're just not going to. Printing what are you going to do about it? Printing out a shipload of dollars and sending it over to China on the same day that you trot out the new uh, currency is the equivalent of saying, "Hey, go screw yourself." And if they're, you know, they may very well get themselves a war of uh, of aggression or retaliation out of uh, something like that. Oh, I can't. I mean, I, the U.S. has got such a ridiculously overgrown military and such massive capacity. I mean, the only way that you can take on the U.S. military is this insurgent style. I mean, nobody can face them head on. So I don't think there's going to be any government to government wars involving the U.S. Uh, but uh, I think that there is going to I mean, in my opinion, I think the U.S. is going to turn on its own population before it's going to turn on its on its creditors, uh, because the creditors are propping up the ruling class. The, the, you have to wonder. The, the, I always try to think of economy by taking out the money of it. It sounds odd, but money can be a distraction when the money doesn't really mean anything. The, the money just seems to follow the resources in a way. And so I, I kind of wonder if, the, um, if America can maintain the military the way it is with fake money. Stefan, can you hold the line um, here for uh, one more segment, and then we'll uh, we'll get back to calls. It's Free Talk Live. 855-450-3733 if you've got any calls for Stefan Molyneux. Free Talk Live. Nature Bee, dynamite for the body. Unlike other bee pollen, our patented process breaks open the cell walls, releases the full power nutritionally. Bee pollen, the original ancient super... Free Talk Live? Hello? Can you hear me now? Hello? Well, I'm still on, but I don't... Oh, it was flashing strangely. Actually, I was talking to you, but I was confused by what was going oh, okay, on. Okay, good. All right, hold on. <laughs> this be the very beast stealing your freedom to smoke. That's why the Vapor Station offers an assortment of electronic cigarette kits. Each rechargeable, refillable kit is an effective, affordable alternative to smoking. No combustion, no tar, no foul, lingering odors, and no smoke, secondhand or otherwise. Just inhale pure enjoyment and exhale vapor. Take a puff just about anywhere without getting hassled. Get your e-cigarette kit now at VaporStation.com. Can heart and body extract help with other ailments besides heart conditions, high blood pressure, clogged arteries, or unbalanced cholesterol? It did for Karen. I've been using heart and body extract for approximately two weeks. I've had an earwax buildup problem for many years, with over-the-counter stuff not working at all. I have very poor hearing due to this earwax buildup. Well, after two weeks of taking heart and body extract, my earwax buildup almost completely cleared up. Could this be the effect of better body circulation? Heart and Body Extract is an effective 100% organic nutritional supplement specially formulated to allow your body to heal itself. My hearing is almost completely back to normal. I'm amazed. Order by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract for long and healthy life. What if the key to achieving liberty in your lifetime was to move together with others who think like you? 
Liberty activists are joining the Free State Project, which is over halfway to its goal of 20,000 participants. And they're already making the move to New Hampshire. The successes are piling up and are proving the Free State Project is a real movement and no longer just a great idea. When you're planning your move, consider Keene. Keene is famous for its civil disobedience and non-cooperation, and there's plenty of political opportunity as well. From demonstrations and vigils to outreach and volunteering, there's a lot going on in Keene. Keene is also the undisputed Liberty Media capital of the world, with television, talk radio, and more, all originating here. So it's more than just activism, with regular social events each week. See what's happening at freekeen.com and get connected with video, audio, free books, a forum, and activist tools you can download and use in your area at freekeen.com. That's freekeen.com. Free Talk Live has partnered with Amazon, the largest Internet retailer. Imagine a department store category, and Amazon has it. Books, electronics, office products, furniture, jewelry, automotive, toys, clothing, sporting goods, and dozens of other categories. Now you can shop and support Free Talk Live by entering Amazon through our website. Go to shop.freetalklive.com, and Amazon will send us a portion of your purchase. You're going to do the shopping anyway, so remember to enter through our site at shop.freetalklive.com. That's shop.freetalklive.com. Free speech is protected on the Internet, right? Not always. Government agencies try to limit free speech and commerce on the net. Luckily, when they do, the Institute for Justice is there to defend your First Amendment right to free speech. IJ helped set the first federal precedent for Internet free speech in 1999, and ever since has worked to prevent unconstitutional roadblocks and cyberspace. Visit our website today at ij.org. Listen to LRN.FM on any phone, anytime, 760-569-7753. That's 760-569-7753. Free Talk Live, 855-450-3733. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. Sickle CAI is a company that handles accounts receivable, whether it's collections, early out billing, or you need your receivables purchased, they'll, they'll, they'll buy them. Sickle's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to keep your clients too. It's Sickle CAI. You can see their banner at freetalklive.com. It's the top one on the right-hand side of the page. We are on with Stefan Molyneux of freedomainradio.com, which is Stefan, like an incredibly listened to podcast. There's some superlative uh, that surrounds it, something like the uh, the most listened to philosophical conversation on the Internet. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the, the technical phrase is somewhere around the world, I'm always talking. I never, ever <laughs> shut up. In fact, I barely even take a breath. And I think that's the technical way of putting it. Yeah, it's it's the biggest philosophy show. I mean, it was uh, I was uh, voted one of the top 10 in alternate media. Hopefully that doesn't mean alternate to truth and value. And um, yeah, like 30, 35 million downloads over the years. And we're we're chugging along. 30, 35 million? I thought it was 25 million. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, if you can count, if you count YouTube, I think I just topped seven or eight million YouTube views. So if wow. you sort of count YouTube plus podcasts, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's a That's lot. a lot of views. It sure is a lot of views. Well, it's good news for the message. I, I am sure glad the message is getting out there. 
And well, but you have to remember that. Sorry, you have to remember that I also have uh, about thirty-five million podcasts, so it's really only one listen per podcast because I'm all about quantity, <laughs> not quality. Really that's out there. <laughs> that's right. One guy, it's, it's my mom who just listens and and really, really helps boost my numbers. <laughs> We were talking about fiat currencies and their their short ignoble lives um, that uh, in here, and you'd suggested there were a few different options, and many of them um, were, we've sort of discounted. Which is, uh, you think that um, uh, that that re- replacing the dollar with something else is going to be tricky and difficult. And frankly, I don't know how they would go about doing it. Although pe- the the banker types have probably done this in the past. It seems like the, at the very least, the second most likely thing to happen. There's revolution. That doesn't seem likely here in America, frankly. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and war, uh, and that doesn't seem likely. And I was just thinking the, the other option is hyperinflation. Is that what you're putting your money on? Uh, I don't think hyperinflation is is going to work. Uh, I, I really don't. Uh, I, I think my my guess as to what's going to happen, and obviously this is just a guess, but my guess is what's going to happen is when you look at people in power and how they're going to solve problems, always look to those they have the most power over, and and those are the ones who are going to get messed up. And so in in America. There have been a lot of rumblings in the political classes about the dependent classes. What was there was some guy high up in the Republican Party talking about, you know, uh, tens or hundreds of millions of dependents on the on the U.S. government. They're all getting kind of tired of that up at the top. And so I think you're going to start hearing a lot of talk of sacrifice and and a war on dependence and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the declaration of independence from dependence or something like that. Are and the I politicians think, completely dependent on the government? Well, yeah, but uh, but they uh, actually, I would say, the politicians are more dependent upon the creditors around the world. To the, the you know, so they they sell off the the unborn to to get money in the here and now to bribe voters in return for votes, and that scam is is coming to an end. So I think they're going to continue to pay off the creditors because if the creditors pull the rug, uh, the whole thing's going to come down like a house of cards. So they're going to continue to pay off the creditors, but what they're going to do is start to put the squeeze on the dependent classes, on Social Security, on Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, uh, even the public sector unions, uh, which have massive unfunded liabilities in their pension schemes. They're really going to start turning the screws on those guys, and they're going to create some sort of patriotic fervor uh, called uh, let's let's outgrow dependence on the state let's stand up let's 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 be strong together and all that and i think that's the scam that they're going to try and pull because that's the people they have the most power over and, and what are people fundamentally going to say to the state that they're dependent on if they start getting cutbacks um, it's you know it's they just they can't do much so they're the ones who are going to get the short end <laughs> they will wait yep but they're not going to be able to do anything because they've they've depended on this un, you know, undependable organization, and I think that uh, that, that makes perfectly good sense. But you're not predicting that the government will actually shrink, right? Well, no, I think government expenditures are going to have to shrink. I mean, government expenditures on the domestic population are going to have to shrink because they owe more and more to creditors. So they're going to take money away from the gen pop and send it off to the creditors and. I, th- I think at some point they're going to have to pull back. I mean, they're going to, you know, at some point, uh, you know, even the heroin addict who's 20 years into the gig at some point looks at all the tracks and marks on his arms and looks at, I don't know, the dead hooker at the foot of his bed and says, man, you know, maybe I better change something here. And I think I think we're getting pretty close to that as a, as a culture. I mean, both in Europe and in North America. It's hard to look at a dead hooker as a good thing, but I, I, I you know, <laughs> at the very least, like to see a a, a, a reduction in um, the amount of, of, of spending. That what, what are your thoughts, uh, Stefan, about the 
the idea of our military, as big as it is and as unstoppable as it is at the moment, uh, maintaining that with this monopoly money. That yeah, well, that that can't happen. I mean, there's there's no question that the I mean, the the death of the empire has already occurred, right? I mean, uh, the the goal of of the enemies of of America was to get it to spend itself into oblivion uh, through through pointless uh, wars of attrition in foreign countries with huge supply lines and a general exhaustion of the of the personnel, and that has all been magnificently and perfectly achieved. I mean, talk about a war on terror. I mean, how about not doing everything that the terrorists actually want? That, to me, would be a real victory of a war on terror. But no, they have to wind it down. It's the same thing that happened to England after the Second World War, when its economy was in complete shambles, and it didn't, it had spent all of its gold in, in World War one and World War Two, uh, they just they wind down the empire and they come home. That's what happened to Europe after Europe destroyed itself through war, and it's going to happen to the American Empire now that America has destroyed itself through uh, through spending and through war. Uh, so yeah, they're going to wind all this stuff down, bring the troops home, and then of course there's all these problems of getting these shell shock victims to readjust to civilian life. But uh, yeah, there's no question this is going to be a, a big boon for liberty in the world. Now, um, you know, you were talking about politicians selling the uh, the third generation, you know, not my children, not my grandchildren, but my great-grandchildren. And you have done, a, you know, some podcasts on this uh, idea that sort of the citizens are livestock for the government. And I think that this is, is just absolutely true. These people believe they own your labor. If they didn't believe they owned your labor, then they wouldn't be able to tax you upon it. Right. Yeah, it's more than a belief. I mean, they do. I mean, what what do they not own? Right. I mean, if if you don't pay your property tax, you very quickly will find out who owns your house. Uh, if you don't pay your gasoline tax, you will very quickly find out who owns your car. Uh, if you don't pay your income tax, you will very quickly find out who owns you. Uh, and uh, of course, once you own something, it's an asset and you can sell off the future earnings of that, the future value of that. And, you know, it's amazing. I was reading this thing the other day, uh, a minor tangent, I promise, and very brief. But uh, somebody was getting real mad in the media about the fact that if you have some terminal illness, some someone will give you, you know, some percentage value of your life insurance so that you can go and blow a lot of money and have a lot of fun before you die. And someone said, oh, that's so predatory, that's morbid, that's terrible, and so on. Well, first of all, it's a free transaction, and I would rather have the money before I'm dead, because what good is it going to do me afterwards? And secondly, I mean, if you're really, really upset... Um, you know, what about all the, the kids who are being sold off uh, down to three or four generations from now? I mean, where's people's outrage about that? I mean, if we love our children enough, the world will become free and we have to get outraged about national debts. We have to get outraged about the terrible quality, the, the ridiculously bad quality of government education. We have to get outraged about the fact that taxes are so high that very few parents can stay home with their children. They just ship them off to, to government-run daycares where they're raised by strangers and badly. So until we get really mad about this stuff, it's just going to get worse. And I'm always quick to point out that, you know, someone will say, well, if they're taking 40% of your income, they own they own 40% of you. I'm like, no, no, they own 100% of you. They're allowing you to keep that 60% right now. Well, they could change it at any time because they own all of it. Another aspect of this is is that, you know, any time the slaves were owned, and I'm not talk talking about just chattel slavery in the United States, but you had to care for them, you had to clothe them, you had to house them, you had to do all kinds of things in order to care for this person. So you never got, at no point, was 100% of the person 
truly owned because the person had to care. The, the master had to care for the slaves. So, you know, it might have been 90 percent. That's how they do it now. They let us keep something so that we can eat and buy a little right. bit of stuff. And, and we're we'll a heck keep of a working lot hard. <laughs> more productive than they, we would be if we were, in fact, working to give money directly to the government because we're, you know, we have the perception of being able to keep some of it. Well, and also, uh, I call it free-range slavery, right? So we're allowed to choose our own occupations, which gives us enthusiasm for our careers, which makes us work that much harder. The freedoms that we're granted are not granted out of any fundamental principle, like we should be free. They're granted because they found out that if you give the livestock a little more room, they produce 10 times as many eggs. It's really for the eggs. It's got nothing to do with wanting to set the chickens free. It's, right. it's true. You know, they they found that certain livestock, if you keep it in too small of an area, will um, become unhealthy and die. And this is just really, you know, humans need freedom. They they yearn for it and they struggle for it. And you know, those those that believe they own us act that way. I'm They're a fun. cow, not a chicken. Uh, thanks, thanks very much for the interview. It's uh, freedomainradio.com. <laughs>